When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Wednesday night, September 2nd, 2020, as the Chicago White Sox wrapped up their only series at Minnesota. And boy, after the first game... It was not a fun experience for the White Sox. Poor defense, lack of timely hits, and few runs scored as the White Sox couldn't hit a home run the last two games of the series. And because of that, the Twins won the series. The White Sox are now 22-15 on the season. They have fallen a game back at Cleveland in the American League Central as they are in second place. But they're just a half game ahead of the Minnesota Twins. They are hoping to bounce back as they make their way from Minneapolis to Kansas City to face the Royals again, who gave the White Sox a tough time last weekend. This series will be a four-game series against Kansas City through the Labor Day weekend. We'll preview that series in a moment, but let's recap what happened against the Twins and the White Sox lack of activity prior to the trade deadline. And joining me as the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Boy, the White Sox could use some help on the pitching front. Yeah, I think we just have to wait for, uh, see who goes on waivers and, and see if the White Sox can strike a deal after the deadline. I think that's how it works now. I think nothing has changed from previous years when that was possible. So we should fully expect activity and trades still to be made. Yeah. Fernando Rodney, for example, just got let go by the Houston Astros and uh, Carson Fulmer's available. Fourth starter. <laughs> yeah. Poor Carson. He's just kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of like baseball Plinko, just kind of uh, shuffling down the standings from White Sox to the Tigers, to the Pirates. And now what? I, I don't know what. Uh, Korea. Japan. I don't know if he's pitched well enough for any of those teams to take him on, but if Pittsburgh lets you go, I I don't know what the next step is. Hoping to get a minor league contract next spring training yeah, and pitch in triple a. That's probably it. Just waiting for like a full season of minor league baseball to where like if a team has an idea, they can work it out in a non-competitive environment, or at least like a environment where, you know, billions of dollars aren't on the line. Yeah. But back to as far as the trade deadline, again, on Monday's podcast, we, we talked through as far as what the White Sox could possibly do, who was out there. We saw a lot of activity very close to the deadline, really surprising activity, especially from teams like the Toronto Blue Jays making a few deals. The Miami Marlins got Starling Marte, those jerks, (laughs) Uh, and the the Cincinnati Reds. The Cincinnati Reds got Archie Bradley um, right before the deadline uh, to add into their bullpen. Now, it's not helping Cincinnati. Uh, They are still struggling, but the Cincinnati helped their bullpen. Even the Chicago Cubs made a couple of low key moves uh, to help with their bullpen and the White Sox 
didn't do anything. Well, technically they did. They still got Gerard Dice in a couple of days before the deadline. But as the deadline came and went by, the asking price for Lance Lynn was way too high, too rich for other teams. And it's just not the White Sox. The Yankees and Dodgers have also said the price tag for Lance Lynn was way too high for their comfort level. Uh, and of course, the San Diego Padres made the marquee deal acquiring Mike Clevenger from the Cleveland Indians in a, in a deal that included three players that can immediately play for the Indians now uh, and also a few prospects as well. And out of all the deals that San Diego made, they made six deals in 48 hours, which makes me feel pain, Jim, especially for you having to write about six trades in 48 hours, just thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they didn't touch their top five prospects. I mean, that's how deep the well is right now for the San Diego Padres with their farm system. Um, but for the White Sox, they did have a little powwow with the front office and the chairman, Jerry Reinsdorf, and seven veteran players. And uh, what they pretty much decided, and this quote comes from Rick Hahn, uh, Rick Hahn said, quote, we are going to have this young go- young group go through a pennant race. We feel confident in what this team is capable of doing over the next several months, but just as importantly, we are excited about where this team is headed for the next several years. In the end, we didn't want to do anything that was going to compromise what this bright future looks like to all of us around the club. And Jim, after the Royal Series, and now after the Twin Series, to me, it appears that might have been a mistake on Rick Hahn's part. Maybe. Uh, well, like, as we talked about last time that, uh, you know, our moods vary or, 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 uh, vacillate around basically who the starting pitcher is. And so when you have Reynaldo Lopez capping off a three game series in Minnesota, we're probably not going to be approaching this topic and the podcast as a whole in the best of moods, or at least the most optimistic of outlooks. So <laughs> I'm trying to keep that in mind, the big picture and saying that, uh, yeah, the white, the white Sox, uh, you know, whether they made a mistake or whether they, uh, you know, stood pat for a reason. I'm not inclined to think, yeah, I think Han's a little gun shy, maybe, especially like I was thinking, like if it a trade involved, like a Benjamin Bailey type, who's promising and teenage and might be uh, years away from the majors, but also uh, might ascend faster than anybody thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if somebody like him was required for a deal, I could see him being like, nope, not this time. I'm not going to do it. Especially like, say now that uh, I don't know if you saw Bob Nightingale's article about the what the postseason is going to look like, or at least what it's leaning towards looking like, assuming that everybody signs off in it. But, you know, the uh, playoff seeds one through eight, uh, the only home field advantage is the first round. All uh, The home team will, uh, which is the top three division finishers and the top second place team will all host uh, the all three games of the first round. And then it goes into the postseason bubble. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if a team like the White Sox, who, you know, according to Fangraphs, have like a 98% chance of making the postseason, just says, well, we're not going to pay exorbitantly or more than we feel comfortable doing if we're this likely to make the playoffs. And then once you get in and you really only have to rely on Giolito and Keuchel for the first two rounds, and those would be the guys pitching anyway because they couldn't add anybody else if they just thought, well, you know, you know, all things considered, um, making a move doesn't really change our outlook all that much. We're still reliant on Gilito and Keuchel doing most of the heavy lifting pitching wise. And we're still reliant on the bats being the bats and hopefully hitting more homers than not. True. I understand where you're coming from is from a starting pitching front, but we talked about on Monday, Jim, the need for the white Sox to find yeah. a solution for Aaron. Yeah, I know Bummer. where you're going with this. Yep. 
And, and yep. Han <laughs> and, and and Han when when he was asked about Aaron Bummer, said that he's uncertain if he's coming back. This is where the break in logic just melts my brain sometimes. If you knew that one of your critical relievers was uncertain to return this season and you're lacking that key reliever, relievers appear to be going for pretty cheap. I understand if the Texas Rangers gym said Lance Lynn requires Michael Kopech, Thanks, but no thanks. Click. And I said that as much as on Monday, that I felt uncomfortable for any deal that included Michael Kopech. But after what happened against Kansas City and what we watched in Minneapolis, it is clear that Rick Renteria does not have enough arms right now in the bullpen. And Mm -hmm. poor Jimmy Cordero, he is now pitched in six of the last seven days. And now I'm concerned about his health status moving forward because that just... That that's not good. That is not good. That is how guys get hurt. Uh, and if Cordero goes down, then I don't know who's left in Schaumburg that they can call up and throw into the fire. Uh, Tyron Guerrero. I mean, we're going pretty deep in the well now. Yeah. Tyler Johnson's there. They have a couple of guys who are kind of interesting, but yeah, not what Cordero delivered last year. Right. Maybe Steve Ciszek kind of, if you treat him as somebody who, uh, deserves uh, a chance to fight his way up the leverage ladder again. They don't have an option, in my opinion. Yeah. So where the White Sox are right now, not making a move in the trade deadline, okay, you really have to lean on this offense. Like, this offense has to produce. Because if they have nights like they had the past two games where they've only scored a run or two runs – this team, Jim, is not built to win two to nothing or three two ball games. They're gonna have to put up five plus runs in a game in order for them to get the W's, hoping that they have a lead going to the ninth inning, and then Alex Colome can take care of everything. That that's kind of where this team is gonna have to be for the rest of this season. Now that they yeah. didn't get any well, help. Yeah, it would have been nice if they added the lefty. I think, you know, if I'm trying to interpret this as charitably as possible for the White Sox, that they think, well, you know, Jace Fry's actually looked pretty good. You know, and, and Fry at one point looked like the kind of reliever that Aaron Bummer eventually turned into. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that Fry looks more like a seventh or eighth inning guy than he did in you know, the last year and a half or so. So. I can see some optimism there that, you know, even if they did acquire a lefty like the Cubs uh, picked up Josh Osich, mm-hmm. you know, like, and then and the White Sox could have acquired somebody like him. They know him. He actually pitched a lot of innings for the Sox and they seem to appreciate his work and, uh, you know, in, in garbage time. But, you know, if they acquired somebody like him, you know, Fry would still be getting the bulk of the innings, uh, you know, against key lefties in late inning situations and they'd ride with him for a bit. And that's, you know, not great for us, but, you know, Fry at least has pitched well enough to deserve some looks in those opportunities. But I do wish that the Sox acquired some left-handed help just to kind of make, I guess, Ross Detweiler's future a little bit more clear and what he's able to do. Because right now, I mean, he's kind of caught in limbo between being a second lefty or being a, you know, at least a full inning lefty in games that are still within reach, although maybe not the most crucial situations of the game, but he's also, you know, theoretically the long reliever in the bullpen. And, you know, in his current state, he does neither. Because, I mean, he's useful if he were the long reliever, you know, coming in a tandem situation like with Lopez or, you know, Cease or Dunning, whoever can't throw more than three innings in a game. 
Uh, but you know, right now in his current state, they don't want to use him for that and eliminate him from the bullpen for a few days, but they also don't want to use him in key lefty situations. So it's unclear exactly what he can do. And yeah, you know, I understand the need or, or, or desire to not want to place too much faith in what Detweiler is capable of, given how poor he looked last year, but he did pitch well. Mm-hmm. I mean, like he did earn a look. So it just, I wish the White Sox just made an addition that made him more useful one way or another. Right. So we're not talking about a big deal at all. We're just talking about, are you a human being that could throw 95? Yes. Can you do it in short spurts? Great. Let's add you preferably to the bullpen. From, yeah, yeah. Preferably from the left side would be even better, but yeah. Right. Cause now I'm looking at the white Sox bullpen gym and I'm trying to sell myself. Can Garrett crochet help? Like, I know it sounds crazy using your first round pick right away in the same season, but the dude only threw three and a third pitches, a third, I'm sorry, three and a third innings for Tennessee. And he's got electric stuff. I mean, this is where you're going to come down to because if Jace Fry gets hurt, I don't know what Rick Renteria is going to do for left-handed relievers other than just ride Ross Detweiler. Uh, again, this is just kind of where it's a little bit frustrating as far as the trade deadline. I, I get trying to display confidence within the team in that clubhouse as a general manager and say, no, I like what you guys have done and I trust you to take us the rest of the way. That's great. But now the three games after the trade deadline and you got someone like Jimmy Cordero who's had to throw six out of the last seven days, it, just warning signs are going all over the place. And now your team's hopping on a plane headed to Kansas City where they got to play four straight games. And you got young starters starting the first two games and Dylan Cease and Dane Dunning. And if they don't go through five innings, Jim, man, it, it could be a rough weekend on the pitching side for the White Sox. Yeah, I imagine they'll have to, or at least I would imagine they would probably go to Schaumburg and just bring up a fresh multi-inning arm, even if they have to just, uh, you know, cut somebody along the way. But yeah, it's a little tough. I mean, that's what now six straight starts, five innings or fewer. Yeah. So that's a lot of innings to carry. And, you know, I, I do like seeing Cody Hoyer pitch well. He was a guy that yeah, I wrote mm-hmm. about Jimmy Cordero uh, this morning, or it would be uh, Wednesday morning and, and said that, you know, ideally like Hoyer would come in and, and, you know, Hoyer's usage was a little bit odd before the deadline. And some were speculating that maybe he was somebody who was potentially involved in trade talks. So the White Sox were trying not to overexpose him or, you know, risk getting him hurt, uh, be it, you know, throwing a pitcher, getting hit by line drive or something like that, just to, uh, you know, make a trade happen. Uh, but now that it's in the clear, I'm hoping that he's the guy who can help pick up some of those Cordero winnings because I think he's, fared well enough you know he's got two good pitches he's got the sinker and he's got the slider and both have looked really good at times I think the slider is just a little bit inconsistent right now to make him you know anything more than a mid-innings guy but you know just you seeing Cordero come in every situation in the fifth and sixth innings I think is just not healthy and Hoyer at least has shown enough to where you know I kind of look at it as how would I look at it in hindsight mm-hmm. and if you know there's a three to if the White Sox are leading three to two and a starter gets knocked in the fifth inning, and then Cody Hoyer starts the next inning, the fifth or the sixth, and he gives up three runs. I'm not going to blame Renteria for that, I don't right. think. I think I'm just going to say, like, well, gave Cody Hoyer a shot, and, you know, whatever Hoyer did or whatever the defense did behind him. Uh, you know, I'll break that down and uh, analyze that based on what the player and, and players are doing. But, 
you know, in hindsight, I don't think I would blame Renteria for giving Hoyer a shot. No, I mean, he really doesn't have a choice anymore. I mean, the guys that have been throwing well out of the bullpen are Hoyer, Matt Foster, Evan Marshall, and Colome. Uh Detweiler's been also throwing well, and you mentioned Jace Fry, but as far as in the righties, if a starting pitcher, like if Dylan Cease can go only five innings, I would kind of like to see Foster go in the sixth, give Hoyer the seventh, give Marshall the eighth, and hope that the White Sox have a lead so Colome can come in and close it. Like, that's kind of how I'm looking at it. And you are in a danger zone because you're relying on a young starting pitcher in his first full, quote-unquote, season, and Dylan Cease, to carry a load that he may not be ready to carry, and then transition to rookie and Matt Foster, rookie to Cody Hoyer, and hoping that those two innings are clean so that Evan Marshall can continue to pitch as well as he has and Marshall can hand the ball to Colome and boom, the White Sox win. I think that might be the way to go, but you're right, Jim. If Hoyer and Foster struggle, you got to chalk that up to these guys are rookies. They're learning. They're going to have clunkers, and the White Sox lose, and there'll be White Sox fans upset because... Now they have a chance to win the division, so maybe expectations have changed, but this is going to be a really tough way to win a division against two strong teams in Cleveland and Minnesota when now you're going to have to throw these kids that you were not counting on this season, throw them into the fire, and hope that they pull through. Yeah, I, I think when you know I look at the big picture, I, I revisit the idea that Rick Hahn built the best third-place team in the American League. <laughs> and no. it, you know, in, 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 in a year that where that's, that works, you know, like it's, uh, you know, sure. it's a good division. This year it works. Yeah. And I think, you know, the Indians and twins are good teams. It's not like, you know, it's, it's not like the AL center of old where third place would be an insult. It's uh you know, an 84 win team. It's not a bad team. It's just not a team that's not quite complete or not quite deep enough to absorb uh, the blows of a, well, even an abbreviated season has a, you know, a body count, uh, you know, just the, they don't have the resourcefulness that the, uh, that the, especially like the Indians do pitching wise. So I didn't expect them to hold up for the long haul. Uh, so if I have that in mind, then I guess I can't let, you know, a weekend or a week in, in second place change my mind that, you know, the twins will eventually pull ahead of them. So I guess that's how I'm looking. And, uh, you know, fortunately, the season is such that being a third place team, uh, especially a good one, is plenty to make the postseason. And then once you get to the postseason, basically, uh, it doesn't matter. The first seed is the eight seed and vice versa. I mean, yeah, the first seed gets to sleep in their own bed in the first round. But as we've seen with home records, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot. That is very true. That that is true. It's it's a hard sell, though, to fans that are very hungry and. Yeah. Hey, we're in first place. We could do this. Yeah. And then Rude Awakening yeah. comes. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, uh, yeah, I guess it's partially a defense mechanism, but I'm not really explaining away or just, especially when the White Sox play as poorly as they did in the finale against yeah. Minnesota, you know, four errors and four hits. Like they, there's no way to explain away that that's just pathetic. Yeah. And, you know, part of it, I think is physical issues like with Lopez and Moncada, especially Moncada and that rundown was really, uh, scary, <laughs> just how how much he uh, did not seem to want to use his legs, and and that's you know he's been seems like he's been trying to play through a problem, and, and nobody wants to say what it is. I call it vague leg, but it, it's just uh, you know it's a tricky roster right now, and so that's why I'm just not getting my hopes up too much, and I'm also trying to you know, remain consistent. I think that's uh, kind of how I try to approach this whole 
uh, I guess, Sox Machine business is just trying to have a, a big picture outlook that doesn't look wrong. You know, uh, you know, it may, it may not be right, but it just doesn't look like wrong, wrong. <laughs> I can at least explain if it's wrong. I can at least explain why. And I don't look like a complete idiot. So that's kind of how, you know, to remain internally consistent. I, 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 I've thought of this team as a third place team. And so if they're in second or first for a bit, it's like, well, you know, that could just be a hot streak followed by a cold streak. And in the end, they'll still be a third place team. That's just how I'm looking at it. One day, though, it's going to be nice, though, to expect a first place team and for them to finish in first place. Jay. Yeah, from uh, maybe we were maybe we're the fans of the wrong team, though. <laughs> from your lips to God's ears. <laughs> Uh, just a quick recap as far as the twin series, because there's a, there's a few things to touch on it. And Jim talked, talked about as far as the defensive woes. Again, the White Sox won the first game eight to five in large. Thanks to Max Kepler dropping the ball in the ninth inning, uh, game two, Byron Buxton was the difference. He had the game winning hit. He robbed Edwin Canacion of a home run. And that was the difference as the twins won three to two. Uh, and in game three, uh, just an absolute disaster, dumpster fire type of game. The White Sox lose eight to one. Nothing really redeeming from that type of game. Defensive woes in this series, Jim, they committed eight errors in three games. And I would be surprised if the White Sox are still leading the league in defensive runs saved after this three game series, Jim. It's hard to square away when you, when you, uh, you know, just size up the, cause it felt like, you know, the defensive run save number that was like a little bit too optimistic. I mean, like maybe that's just the calluses of watching so much bad White Sox defense that you can't possibly believe that they would leave the league in uh, an advanced defensive metric, but yeah, they, they had been improved and in, you mentioned Buxton being the difference and you know, it was, to me, it was fascinating watching the first and third games in which Buxton did not start and just seeing the difference in balls hit to center field and just how much more they were up for grabs between the corner outfielders and the center fielder with Jay Cave out there or, or whoever was patrolling it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think for me, you know, besides, you know, facing Buxton, hopefully, you know, in a full season, I, well, you know, hopefully, but it's like in terms of if, if the world returns to normal or normalish and the White Sox are playing the Twins 19 times in the season again, I think it's worth keeping in mind just uh, the, the difference that Buxton makes. I think it's also worth keeping in mind, given that Luis Roberts really impressive numbers in center field, just, uh, you know, cross your fingers that he stays healthy because he brings a lot of order to the outfield. And and you see with the Twins, you know, once they don't have their, uh, you know, their, their quarterback or their captain in center field, just how quickly that can disintegrate or how, uh, you know, just how miscommunication can rain or uh, uh, outfielders who shouldn't be calling people off or calling people off. So, yeah, just don't take Luis Robert for granted or at least what he's doing in center right now. And the topic that everyone's going to be discussing, especially in the Chicago sports radio circuit in the morning on Thursday morning is Ronaldo Lopez. And James Feagan got this quote from Ronaldo Lopez after his start in which, uh, I don't think he got through the second inning. Yeah, he got pulled in the second inning. Uh, Lopez said he didn't understand why Rick Renteria pulled him in the second inning. He said he's sure that he had his reasons and that they have a plan for his usage, but that he didn't understand and hadn't had the chance to talk it over yet with Rick Renteria. Uh, And Rick Renteria said that there should be a conversation tomorrow to discuss what Lopez's future usage is. So what's I think the question is what now with Ronaldo Lopez? What is his role with the White Sox, and how are the White Sox going to use him moving forward? 
Well, you know, to, to first go back to the quote, and I saw some people getting upset about Lopez or just, you know, thinking that he was, um, you know, um, you know, defensive or, um, you know, just, you know, being indignant for no good reason. And, uh, you know, that when a quote with a quote like that, given that English is not his first language, I think he's probably speaking through a translator that I would be kind of, uh, you know, not trying to break down his quotes word by word. I think the sentiment big picture is probably right that he's not quite sure. Like he thought he had more to give or, or, you know, did not know specific reasons, but I would, you know, when it comes to uh, a, a guy speaking English and for a second language, I would not go word by word and, and, and lean on key words too much, at least right now, I guess we'll see what Renteria says, uh, you know, for the next uh, turn through the rotation. But yeah, right now, I think, you know, the bigger thing for me, and we talked about this before the deadline, when, when we were trying to assess what the White Sox could do with their starting rotation is that, no matter what, I think, you know, Lopez's failure at this point had to be assumed. You know, I don't think anybody had really high hopes for him. I think he's starting mainly because, like, there's still potentially a little bit of, like, a glimmer of hope for, like, four decent innings from him. So there's that. But also, when you look at who else is in Schaumburg, you have Carlos Rodon, who is not, you know, who who pitched uh, less than three, you know, averaged uh, fewer than three innings in his two starts this year and is coming back from injury. So you can't expect, uh, you know, durability from him. And you have guys like Drew Anderson and Bernardo Flores, and you wouldn't expect three innings, if, or at least three good innings from either of those guys. So when you have like that shallow of a pool at Schaumburg, uh, I, I think whatever happens, the White Sox either, one, have to just admit that they're playing for one of the eight spots and really aren't, you know, trying to maximize game by game. Or they just have to figure out once and for all, like, how to deal with starters who can't go five. Like, you know, they can't, you know, they can't take a guy like Lopez or you know, Anderson, you know, a guy who can go three in his best day and hope that he goes five, like, cross the fingers. Like, there's no, there's no gold at the end of that rainbow. Uh, you know, it's more about just trying to figure out what's the best, you know, how can he help us turn this page in the calendar? And I think for Lopez, we saw that for one glorious moment where he got through the lineup in a position where he could hand the bottom of the lineup over to Gio Gonzalez, who then handled the next three plus innings. And that was great. That was useful. That was a very Tampa Bay Rays like way of getting through the day, you know, and winning that game. And unfortunately right now with Ross Detweiler and Limbo, like we talked about that, you know, they don't really have an ideal candidate for that second pitcher, but if they can, or if they do it, you know, with, uh, you know, um, you know, the other way with maybe Bernardo Flores starting from the left side and bringing in a righty for multiple innings behind him. But one way or another, they have to figure out how to get through these starts where they have a starter who is not really a starter. Like he's not a five inning guy. He's like one turn through and then hand it off. That's just something the White Sox either can't do or don't have the imagination to uh, to pull off or think it's beneath them or something. But their aversion to it has been really baffling to me, especially as you see like the you know sustained success of the Rays and uh, the Yankees and the A's, the way teams have either planned around it or scrambled and, and bought themselves time by doing that. The White Sox, for whatever reason, just don't want to. And I don't understand that still. Yeah, I think you'd be a fool to think that Carlos Rodon's going to join the team from Schaumburg and you're going to count on him to throw six innings every start. I, I just don't know health-wise if he is capable of carrying that load. Like he may have to be a role that Mm -hmm. we thought Gio Gonzalez would serve now on the White Sox. What can you give? How many innings can you eat on 60 pitches? Right? 
Like, I, I don't see Carlos Rodon coming in and just being a swap with Ronaldo Lopez and, okay, here's our fifth starter. He's going to go five innings. Like, that would be tough for me just because of all the injury woes that Rodon has gone through and the rehabs that he's had been going through for, what, the past month just to get back on the team again. I mean, it's been a long time since Carlos Rodon has pitched in a game. Mm-hmm. So this this transition is not going to be easy. Yeah, and I and I think, you know, Lopez, too, coming out of Schaumburg, like he shows how little Schaumburg can help or at least indicates, you right. know, I, I think there's just... You, know, you can you can probably have your you know your pitch data and your rapsodo and everything just telling you what a pitcher is doing, but I think when it comes to an actual competitive environment where the people at the plate are trying to embarrass you, you know, versus Schaumburg, where yeah, you know, imagine the guys at the plate, like especially like younger hitters and such, are trying to you know get good swings in and prove that they're worth a look. You know, whether they're young hitters like Andrew Vaughn or older hitters like Nicky Delmonico, they all want to look good. But I think in the end, they're all teammates. <laughs> they don't want to you know, just uh, demoralize uh, the person on the mound. So I think, you know, it's the idea of like throwing a pitch in anger, you know, just uh, when it comes to actually being in the majors with, uh, uh, you know, full adrenaline and and your career, you know, maybe not on the line, but for a guy like Dane Dunning, you know, who's coming off uh, injury rehab and so forth that, you know, it's a whole different environment throwing in that, in, uh, you know, in a major league game versus Schaumburg. I think the, the reverse also works for veterans or at least, the same also applies for veterans in that, uh, you know, just whatever they're throwing in Schaumburg, however good they're looking, does not necessarily cleanly translate into, uh, you know, uh, five innings in Chicago or in Kansas City or Minnesota or whatever. Is Jimmy Cordero going to pitch tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Poor Jimmy. I feel bad well, for him. Yeah. Well, I think if Cease can actually start the sixth, I would okay. say no. But if he warms up at the bullpen, Jim, I'm going to cringe. I'm going to cringe. I felt bad for him tonight. There is no need, in my opinion. Just, Ross, see how long he can go. Yeah. yeah I guess the one thing that, that Zach, was... Zach, can you throw two innings? Yeah, the one... Well, yeah, Birdie, I think, is just... He's somebody... He's also another guy who's showing, I think, what Schaumburg... The limitations of Schaumburg as an environment, because his velocity is there. And the, you know, slider occasionally looks really great and the uh, changeup really has some fate at times, but also he's misplacing pitches and they're doing a lot of damage on him. So I think that's a a case where just there's no training a guy who has not shown he can pitch in the majors uh, in Schaumburg alone. I think you can get, get lucky sometimes or maybe a pitcher is just that good or on top of his game or whatever. But I think right now there's, there's no clean translation, but yeah, Cordero is just, uh, yeah, I think it would have helped if Detweiler hadn't pitched the day, day before. Okay. Maybe that was the one thing stopping them. Well, let's move away from the Minnesota Twins series because it is painful to discuss, and let's talk about the upcoming series for the Chicago White Sox. Again, they're heading from Minneapolis to Kansas City to finish the season series against the Kansas City Royals. The Royals have lost their last two games against Cleveland. Their record is now 14-23. They are in last place in the American League Central. And the Chicago White Sox lead the season series five games to one. So if the White Sox win at least one game against Kansas City in these next four, they will have won the season series against Kansas City, something they could not say last year. Your pitching probables for this series starting tomorrow on Thursday, September 3rd. This is a 7.05 p.m. Central Time start. It is Dylan Cease for the White Sox against Danny Duffy. 
for the Kansas City Royals. On Friday at 7.05 p.m. Central Time, this is the Florida matchup between the ex-Gators, Dane Dunning for the White Sox against Brady Singer. On Saturday, it is 6.05 p.m. Central Time. It is Lucas Giolito against Chris Bubich. And on Sunday at 1.05 p.m. Central Time, it is Dallas Keuchel against Brad Keller. And Brad Keller has been throwing the baseball really well for the Kansas City Royals this season. So that should be a low-scoring affair between Keuchel and Keller. And Jim, the White Sox, they're still undefeated when they face a left-handed starting pitcher. And they're going to face two in this series, so there's hope that this series will go well for the White Sox. But I know we sound like a broken record, but the key for me in this series is that this team really needs Dylan Cease and Dane Dunning to try and go at least five innings in their two starts. As much as I hate to say it, well, at least not not with Cease. I think Dunning, you know, if he has an off day, you know, given his first two outings have looked really good, you know, I wouldn't blame him for it. <laughs> you, have to, uh, you know, he's already exceeded expectations. So if the, uh, you know, meet, uh, regression catches up with him, so be it. But yeah, Cease, I think, is the guy you know, under the microscope here, especially, you know, walking six Royals. It's really hard to walk six Royals. Somehow he did it. And that's not good. So yeah, I, I think... Uh, you know, he's somebody who, you know, given, you know, or like they always say with pitchers that, you know, when you face a team, you know, twice in a in short amount of time that the hitters have the advantage. I think Cease was so off that I think maybe if he looks like halfway decent, he might surprise Kansas City. So I'm hoping for that uh, because that would be a great way to get the, um, you know, get the series uh, on track. I'm disappointed that the Sox aren't facing Matt Harvey because I really wanted to see what he looked like given his outing getting knocked out in the second against the Indians. But question for you, do you think at the end of the series that the White Sox will still be undefeated against left-handed pitching? Hmm. Duffy and Bubich have pitched well against the White Sox. That's the thing. Like, Bubich is a rookie, and I thought I think against the White Sox, he has held his own. And uh, Duffy, you know, he gave up the two homers to the White Sox. uh, But it wasn't like they blew him out. But, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say, yes, the White Sox win those two games. Uh, I think Dylan Cease pulls through and and Giolito does what he's been doing. Yeah, I'm going to say the same just because it seems like the White Sox are going to get over 500. They're going to do it like in the most (laughs) flawed or unsustainable way possible. So that's just like a really lopsided record against lefties, which they might not face in the postseason, and a really great great record against uh, sub-500 teams, which they also, by definition, won't face in the postseason unless, right. you know, uh, somehow uh, an eighth seed gets to the second round. Yeah, and uh, I'm most concerned about the Friday and Sunday games. We'll see how Dane Dunning does. Kansas City's going to get a second look against him. That's going to be a first time in his career. Brady Sainter, I thought, was pitching pretty well. I also think that the White Sox let him off the hook. They had some opportunities to do some real damage against Brady Sainter, but weren't able to capitalize. Brad Keller, again, he's been throwing really well for the Royals. He's got a sub-2 ERA. And against Dallas Keuchel, in which it just seems like in Keuchel starts, the White Sox don't want to score runs for him. Uh, (laughs) But... We'll we'll see how Sunday goes. I'm hoping that they win this series. They win at least three games in Kansas City, but I could easily see this being a split, two games apiece. So the White Sox end up finishing seven and three against Kansas City in 2020, which Jim, at the beginning of the season, I would have taken. Yeah, and especially since Kansas City is, I'll call them feisty. 
Like they're not good, but they, they are feisty. They have some talent, and they, they they are giving their younger players a lot of playing time. So sometimes you do see that talent win out, like with Bubich and such. Uh, even if they don't maybe have the uh, you know polish or the discipline or the the skills to quite get through like a full game yet. But I am fascinated by the Sunday matchup just because Keller is pitching well, and you also have Keller against Tim Anderson, which here's hoping for a bat flip. Uh, yeah, oh, I think, yeah, I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, I think Anderson is, is one I'll be watching, then the other is Eloy Jimenez. Just he's been looking rough. And I think as long as Yohan Makata is in this weird, um, you know, almost like weekend at Bernie's situation where he's barely being held up, uh, you know, in the games he does play, that I think they need somebody to step up. And I know you're writing, you know, this is a teaser, and you teased it on Twitter as well about the, the lack of production they're getting from the DH spot. And I think uh, that's going to become more glaring if, you know, Mancada is just barely hanging in there. And if, you know, Jimenez is slumping, I think that's when you're going to feel this home run drought be a little bit more pronounced or their reliance on the home run being just more noticeable and, and more detrimental. So I'm really hoping that Jimenez snaps out of his slump against a, uh, you know, a team and some pitching matchups that should afford him the opportunity. I agree. Yeah. And again, that will be on SoxMachine.com especially with a look at Edwin Carnacion. A lot of pivot tabling, a lot of deep dive into the data. It is not good. And you'll be able to read that on Sox Machine. And who knows if Encarnacion does not improve on the numbers that are pretty glaring right now, dare I say we could see Andrew Vaughn with the White Sox at some point this season to try to give the offense a boost, especially at the DH front. Uh, or third base. <laughs> or third base. Oh, let's not get, let's not go too far. Uh, let's not go too far on that. Oh, just imagine it now. Uh, quick question for you. Uh, it's Sebi Zavala right now as the taxi squad catcher. Surprised? Yeah. I'm, I'm you know, it's not, given the, the taxi squad, we haven't seen any of those guys come into the rotation that, you know, to me, it maybe doesn't really matter so much, but I am surprised. I would suppose like if you had me, you know, put money on it one way or another, I, I would figure that your mean Mercedes would be the more likely candidate just because even if you know, Zavala is the superior catcher and game caller, um, whatever, whatever you're counting on from that taxi squad guy isn't going to be, you know, right. carrying a pitching staff. Right. So we'll, again, we'll see on how this series goes against for the White Sox. We'll have White Sox wake up call for you guys on Friday to recap the Thursday game. And then Monday Sox machine podcast. We will recap as far as the White Sox and the Royal series as they'll have two days off. They have Labor Day off on Monday, September 7th before they head to Pittsburgh for two games. And then they got next Thursday off and then they have their, uh, one of their last home stands of the season, they'll have three games against Detroit and then the final four games against the Minnesota Twins Monday through Thursday. Uh, and those games will be pretty critical for the White Sox. So hopefully they start stacking up some wins here uh, in the next 10 games. Uh, but before we sign off on this edition of Sox Machine Live, there was some sad news uh, that was passed on while the White Sox are playing the Twins early. Tom Seaver. Tom Terrific, the Hall of Famer, passed away at the age of 75 years old. Tom Seaver did play for the Chicago White Sox. He was part of the 1984, 1985, and 1986 squads before he got shipped out to Boston in 1986. 
Uh, Seaver was a four war pitcher in 1984 and a 5.1 war pitcher in 1985 at the age of 40 years old, which is incredible. And he won a world series in 1969 with the New York Mets. Uh, and, uh, again, the hall of famer, Tom Seaver passed away at the age of 75 years old. And Jim, you know, obviously I was one when Tom Seaver pitched for the White Sox uh, in 1985. I was born in November of 1984, so definitely way past my time. (laughs) But when you learn about baseball history and the all-time greats, you learn about the dominance that was Tom Seaver, especially in the late 60s and through the 70s. And I know we always joke about all these washed-up veterans that join the White Sox, like Andrew Jones and Ken Griffey Jr., for example. But it's always fascinating to me that here's Tom Seaver way over the hill, and he was still a good starter for the Chicago White Sox in the mid-'80s. Yeah, that's my takeaway when it comes to Seaver's career is that it took like an effort to learn that he was actually good with the White Sox because, you know, you mentioned all the you washed up vets and such. And in Seaver's day, the White Sox had also uh, used Steve Carlton for a little bit at the end of his career. And Carlton really did not have much to offer. I'm looking up his numbers right now, just thinking about it. But, you know, they're both, you know, legendary pitchers among the best that, that have ever lived. And they both came to the White Sox in a similar time. And yeah, Steve Carlton was yeah four and three, just barely at the end of his career. Like he, he gave the White Sox something, but yeah, three point six nine ERA, just forty one years old, so he's even more uh, you know past his prime. But hung in there, gave the White Sox something for a little bit, uh, but barely a blip on his career. Whereas Seaver, you know, he won his three hundredth game with the with the White Sox, and you know you look at those two years, and he went fifteen and eleven in nineteen eighty four with a sub four ERA. Nineteen eighty five at age forty, sixteen and eleven, three point seventeen ERA. You know the strikeout numbers were down from his peak, but otherwise he was throwing uh, two hundred and thirty plus innings a year. And uh, you know in, in nineteen eighty four, thirty nine years old, ten complete games, four shutouts. So uh, you know even though it wasn't his like Tom terrific peak and and the the peak that uh, made him the best Met ever and and set the record at the time for the highest uh, percentage of votes for a Hall of Fame inductee, uh, he was still really good with the White Sox. And it was more than just like a charity thing or a name thing or just a, uh, somebody just coasting on reputation or, or trying to sell uh, you know some some interest in the guy who uh, had nothing left to offer. He was he was good, and I had to learn that just by looking at the page. Just because by the time I got to him, like you know, like uh, like you, I was you know I didn't have a memory at the time that Seaver pitched for the Sox. That uh, yeah, just revisiting what he'd done was not uh, uh, was not something to laugh off or sneeze at or anything like that. It was it was good pitching. Yeah, it really was, and. Unfortunately, uh, the baseball world lost a great as T- as Tom Seaver passed away at the age of 75. But if you ever get a chance for those that are around our age, uh, definitely go to Baseball Reference and just look at Tom Seaver's career. It is amazing. He had two 10-war seasons, Jim. Um, one in 1971 and one in 1973. And it's just it's just awesome to see, especially all the blue ink, you know, three Cy Young awards. He was rookie of the year, he, you know, getting the world series in 1969 at the age of 24, uh, just a, a terrific career. And it was great to hear some stories, especially from Steve stone during the broadcast. And, 
you know, for those that do remember Tom Seaver with the Chicago White Sox, it'd be great to hear from you guys in the comment section of the podcast post on SoxMachine.com to share what you remember of Tom Seaver when he was with the White Sox. But again, uh, sad news as Tom Seaver has passed away. And that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. Thank you to all those that listened to the live stream as we pass midnight, uh, going from September 2nd to September 3rd, as these White Sox games are taking way too damn long, Jim, uh, to complete. But regardless, <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah, I'll be writing about that, too. <laughs> oh, will you? Okay. <laughs> yep. Um but again, regardless, uh, thank you so much to those that listen to the live stream, which you can listen to the live stream on Mixler.com slash Socks Machine. But if you don't get an opportunity to listen to the live stream, no worries. Each Socks Machine Live is recorded and uploaded into the podcast feed, which you can describe to the Socks Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, a couple of marketing notes. Uh, again, you could support us on Socks Machine on uh, patreon.com slash Socks Machine uh, to get ad-free episodes and extra content as well, uh, both on the writing and podcasting front. And we have new sweet swag i think the coffee mug is terrific uh we still have those for the ten dollar tier and we also now have socks machine shirts 25 dollars include shipping i shipped out a bunch of shirts the last two days i have ordered more shirts as far as the sizes that we have sold out including mediums so if you don't see mediums in stock now do not worry they will be there hopefully shortly but if you want to support us and you want some new socks machine swag you can buy the new socks machine shirt on socksmachine.com again it's 25 dollars and includes shipping and uh, we also have the socks machine swag pack that'll throw some stickers and a socks machine koozie in uh, if you really want to so yeah that's the couple of marketing items for you guys uh, to help support us at socks machine which we always appreciate your support but Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply.